you're a child of God this morning. Let me hear you. Do you, do you recognize that? Are you con- did you have confidence in that? Because listen, if you, know, if you know that, if you believe that, then that really does change the way that you live. Um, we're going to talk more about the Holy Spirit this morning, but I just want to share this a little bit with you because the, the song kind of sparked it this morning. But Jesus, when he was starting his earthly ministry and he was baptized by John the Baptist, it says that as he came up out of the water that the heavens opened up and a spirit, uh, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit came down and descended on him like a dove. And so the Spirit came down and then, and then it says, God the Father said, this is my Son with whom I am well pleased, right? And I don't know if you recognize this or not, but Scripture talks about that when we um, give our life to Jesus, when we surrender to Him and we put our trust and faith in Him and, and we receive salvation, that we receive the Holy Spirit, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit comes and lives in us. The same Holy Spirit that lived uh, in Jesus, that raised Jesus from the dead, the same Holy Spirit um, comes and lives in us. In Romans 8, 16, I actually, uh, rather than try to quote it, I, I actually turn to it now. But 8, 8 16, this is, listen to this, what it says. It says, the Spirit himself, the Holy Spirit himself, bears witness with our spirit, that's a little S spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That, that is a ginormous verse right there. And this is the reason why that's important, that you know that you are a child of God, right? That we are, uh, we've been sealed, the Holy Spirit seals us, and we are children of God. Because I know that every single day, man, you wake up and you face difficulties, you face struggles, you have everything just coming at you. Um, and, and it's easy for us to get discouraged, isn't it? It's easy for us to get down and out. It's easy for us to doubt God's love for us sometimes because of our circumstances. And that verse, Romans eight sixteen, what it's saying there is, is that when you are struggling and when you are going through those times, right, the Holy Spirit is bearing witness, is testifying, is saying, no, 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 you are a child of God. You are loved by God. Same thing that God said to Jesus, this is my son who I am well pleased. You and I, if you are a Christian, if you're a believer, you're a child of God. We've been adopted. We are heirs with Christ. Amen? Amen. And so I say all that to say this, man, that the next time that somebody says something to you and, and, and it kind of crushes you or somebody does something or you go through it, whatever it is, and you're kind of feeling down and out, I just want you to, to remember, man, that the God of the universe loves you so much that he sent Jesus to, to die on the cross in your place and that you have the Holy Spirit of God living in you who is saying you're, you're a child of God. God loves you. Isn't that cool? So I, I kept Charlie up here because, man, I just want to share. Some of you maybe uh, weren't here last week. We went to a conference uh, in Louisville, Kentucky this past week, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Came back Saturday. And uh, the conference is called Together for the Gospel. And it was just absolutely more than we expected. Uh, I, I, I say we, we walked away from there and uh, not only uh, challenged, um, but convicted, and just words can't really even describe, put it, I mean, just a lot, right? I mean, it was just, we, we left full. And so we just want to say thank you for your prayers, those of you who prayed for us, we appreciate it. And I told Charlie we had to wear our shirts today, so this is, this is T4G, that's the, oh yeah, sorry. That, that's what that is, okay? And uh, Matt, I just say thank you guys so much for that, it was just an incredible week. 
I got to spend uh, also my, my best friend from back home who I grew up with was there, and we got to spend time, all of us together, and it was just uh, a very, just, I don't know how to describe, awesome week, man. It was, it was good. It's hard to describe, man. So thanks, brother. Yep. All right. Uh, Acts. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to the book of Acts. Acts is the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. And if you don't have a Bible, there is a hardback black Bible. should be in the row in front of you. If not, uh, then just yell at somebody to grab you one because we've got some all over. And uh, if you want to turn, I think it's page 883 in those Bibles. Page 883, Acts chapter 2 is where we're going to be. The words will also be on the screen for you. And I will read it from my Bible and I read from the ESV version, English Standard Version. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1, this is what it says. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they, and, and, and that they there is referring back to chapter 1 to some people say it's just the, the disciples. Some people say it was everybody, the 120 that was in the upper room. Uh, whatever you say, it doesn't matter. That's what the they is referring to, okay? So when the day of Pentecost arrived, they, uh, the disciples or the 120, were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya, belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes. Proselytes, by the way, are Jews who have been converted to Judaism. Um, Proselytes, Cretans, and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they are filled with new wine. Let's pray together. Father God, we just come before you and we just thank you. God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for uh, just the opportunity that we've uh, had already to, to come in here this place and to lift our voices to you and to sing songs and to, to praise you and worship you through music. And uh, Father, you, you alone are worthy of that. And I just pray, God, as we continue to worship you now through your word, uh, that your spirit will continue to move in this place. Father, I recognize this morning that, man, there are people from all various different kinds of walks in life and, and in different stages of life and and, and they've walked through those doors, and uh, with just different circumstances and different things going on, and um, Father, whatever it is that they are dealing with this morning, whether it be that they are far from you, 
or they are close, or they're somewhere in the middle. God, I pray that your spirit would move today and that our eyes would be open, our hearts would be softened. Father, I pray that as we exalt Jesus in this place, that we uh, would just see how beautiful you are and that we would see our need for him. Father, we thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So last Sunday, if you were here, we kicked off a new series uh, in Acts called The Gospel Continued. And I started off by asking you the question, if anyone here has ever had a, a family tree done, if you've ever done a family tree, or if you've ever uh, done one of those Ancestry.com DNA tests. Now, uh, because of that last week, did anybody go this past week and do that by chance? Because you guys don't care, right? You're like, whatever. <laughs> I don't care. I don't care, right? Uh, but, but obviously, those, those Ancestry.com things allow you to trace back your, your family lineage and, and your family history, and it's a, it's a really cool thing. And for the church, Acts is very much like Ancestry.com. Acts is where the New Testament church is birthed. Uh, Acts gives us the ability to kind of trace uh, or study our roots and our lineage and where we came from as a church. Uh, for instance, if you've ever walked in here or into a church in general and just asked the question, why do you do the things that you do? Why do you sing songs? Why do you uh, take up an offering? Why do you do communion? Uh, look no further than our, our, our family tree and the book of Acts. Acts is part of a two-volume book written by a guy named Luke. Uh, Luke's first volume is the Gospel of Luke. And uh, so Acts is a continuation of the Gospel of Luke. That's why this, this series is titled The Gospel Continued. Uh, we know that Luke was the only non-Jewish person who wrote a book in the Bible. And we also know that Luke is a medical doctor or was a medical doctor. It might be helpful for us, if you're kind of new to this, to think of Acts as uh, the link between the Gospels and the rest of the letters in the New Testament, okay? So the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, are tell the story, the good news about Jesus and all that he did, uh, and then um, Acts is a continuation of that, and then the rest of the New Testament, the letters, um, have basically our letters to churches that were started in Acts because of all that Jesus did in the Gospels, okay? And so that's just a helpful way to think of Acts. Acts is the link between the Gospels and the, the letters, okay? Nothing is more prominent than in the book of Acts than the spread of the Gospel. Uh, the Gospel simply means good news. It is the good news that God uh, lovingly sent His one and only Son, Jesus, to this earth uh, to die in our place. Uh, we, we were created in God's image, uh, and yet we, we turned from God, we rebelled against God, we sinned, and that separated us from God. And so God sent Jesus to this earth to be a sacrifice for our sins. He died in our place as a substitute, and uh, through his death, burial, and resurrection, we can be reconciled back to God. That's the good news of the gospel. And so Acts reveals God's passionate pursuit of his people, beginning with his followers in Jerusalem, uh, and then where it all starts, and then expanding to Judea, to Samaria, and then to the rest of the world. See, Jesus had this vision that everyone would hear this gospel good news. And so that's the gospel continued, right? And that's the mission of this book, that the gospel go forward, the gospel advance, 
And that's the purpose. We saw it last week. If you were here, if you didn't get to hear last week, I would encourage you to go back online and listen to it. Uh, But we saw in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus tells his disciples, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. You will be my witnesses, Jesus said. That's identity language. This is who you are in Christ. We are witnesses. So here we are in week two of Acts, and we're starting in chapter two. And the disciples up to this point have been praying together, and they've been waiting, as Jesus instructed them to, wait for the promised Holy Spirit. And this week we see how the Holy Spirit descends on the disciples of Jesus. And so starting in verse one, it says, and when the day of Pentecost arrived. Now that phrase there is very important. Luke is giving us some important piece of information. That's what Luke, Luke is a historian. He likes to write uh, and give a lot of history. And so he's saying it's Pentecost, on the day that Pentecost arrived. Now, what is Pentecost? Glad you asked. It's a good question. For Jews, God's people, Israelites, they were required by the Old Testament law to keep three Jewish festivals, and one of those festivals is known as Pentecost, or also known as the Feast of Weeks. It was celebrated seven weeks, that's why it's also called Feast of Weeks, or 50 days, which is why it's called Pentecost, Pente means 50, uh, after Passover feast. Passover was the second of those three feasts that they were required to celebrate. Okay, Now, Passover is also very important, uh, not only back then, but to us as well, because Passover signified God delivering his people, Israel, out of Egyptian slavery way back in the Old Testament book of Exodus. You can read all about that there. So, so what happens is, is God sends ten plagues to Pharaoh, who was over Egypt, And that last plague is the death of the firstborn, right? So God is going to kill the firstborn of all those in Egypt. And God instructed Israel, who were slaves in Egypt, uh, to take a lamb without blemish and to sacrifice that lamb and to put the blood of that lamb over the doorposts of their house. So that night that when the death angel came through Egypt, he would see the blood of the lamb over the doorpost and he would pass over that house, and their firstborn would be safe, right? So ultimately, Passover and Exodus points forward to Jesus in the New Testament, right? Jesus is our sacrificial lamb. John the Baptist in the New Testament, when he sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Right? Jesus is going to die on the cross and pay the penalty for our sins so that God's wrath and judgment would pass over all those who put their faith and trust in Jesus. Right? That's why Passover is important for us too, right? Because if we put our faith and trust in Jesus, then, then God is going to pass over because the blood of Jesus covers our sins, right? When God looks at us, he doesn't see sinful Aaron, but he sees the righteousness of Christ. Amen? That's good news. That's, that's good news, okay? So, so Jesus dies during Passover feast, okay? And 
Now it's been 50 days, right? Because Pentecost is 50 days uh, after Passover, and it's been 50 days since, since Jesus resurrected from the dead, and it's time for Pentecost. And here's the thing. Because of the time of year that Pentecost fell, it was easy travel for all of the Jews to come to Jerusalem, right? So they are making this, this pilgrimage to Jerusalem from all over the known world to celebrate Pentecost, right? They would be bringing their first fruits as a harvest to God. And I love how some commentators describe Pentecost. They describe it kind of like our modern-day Mardi Gras in New Orleans, right? So it's kind of like what it is where all these people are coming together, and uh, you've got this massive crowd gathered together in Jerusalem to celebrate and to give their first fruits to God. So you have all these people in one place. And so right off the bat, here in chapter 2, we see that Jerusalem is filled with all these different people from all over. I mean, you can look at starting at verse 9, man, Luke just mentions all these different nations that would have been represented at Pentecost. And, and, and listen, that is, that is intentional. That is intentional because Jerusalem is about to become ground zero for the mission, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, right, for the church. It's, it's ground zero for spirit-empowered proclamation of God's gospel to the ends of the earth. And it just so happens that the ends of the earth are right smack dab in Jerusalem. How awesome is that, right? And that's not by accident. I see God is sovereign and God is in control and God, nothing happens by chance. God, God, that's the way it was planned, right? That all of the nations happened to be right there in Jerusalem. Now, just this is, by the way, this, this next piece of information is free. I wouldn't plan on sharing it, but I'll go ahead and share it with you anyway, because I think it's pretty cool. But way back in Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, in chapter 11, uh, you can write it down and go back and read it, but there's this story, it's called the Tower of Babel, and you have this group of people who are coming together, and they become arrogant, they become proudful, right, because we're, we're sinful people, and that's what we do. And so they decide, hey, let's build a tower up to God. And it's a great story if you go back and read it. It's, it's actually kind of comical because God says, uh, I think he says something effective like, let's go down and see what, these, what they're doing. Kind of like a, like a smirk, like laughing about it type thing. And he goes down and he says, uh, so this is what he does. He's, he's going to scatter them and confuse their language. And that's what God does in Genesis chapter 11, right? He divides them, he scatters them and confuses their language. And, and that's where you get that. But what's interesting is, is that here in Acts chapter 2, we see that all of these different languages, these people from different places come together and they're in one place and they all hear the gospel good news at the same time. Now, what's cool about that is you see the gospel is, is, is reversing the curse of, of Genesis 11, the, the the Tower of Babel. Isn't that, isn't that cool? Isn't that awesome? Yeah. I just thought that was neat. I thought I'd share that with you guys. That was free. Okay. All right. And so we see that the, the disciples are together, and they've been praying, and it says, Suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. Now, here's the thing. Man, what in the world is going on here? I mean, this, this would be such 
a crazy thing to, to witness. And it's so remarkable that Luke actually, he can't quite put it into words because he says it's like a mighty rushing wind, but then he says it's divided tongues as of, as of fire appear. And actually, wind and fire, th- those are two huge words that Luke uses here because in both the Old Testament Hebrew language and in the Greek New Testament languages, the word for spirit, as in Holy Spirit, is the same word for breath or wind. Right? So Luke says this, it was like a mighty rushing wind. But also, to take it a step further, in the Old Testament, uh, wind and fire were oftentimes representations of the presence of God. So anytime you see, uh, oftentimes when you see wind or fire in the Old Testament, it was the, the presence of God. And I'll just give you a couple of examples from the Old Testament. Uh, Moses, the guy who led Israel out of Egyptian uh, slavery, he has the experience with the burning bush, right? The bush is on fire. It's the presence of God. God speaks to him through the burning bush. Uh, when God is leading his people, Israel, out of Egypt, his presence is described as a what? A pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? Um, in the very beginning book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, Genesis 1, 1 and 2, it describes the Spirit of God as the breath, wind of God, blowing over the waters of the newly created earth. In Genesis 2, 7, it is the Spirit of God as the, the breath and wind of God blowing life into the newly created man, right? It's the breath of life into us. Uh, but one of my favorite is uh, found in Ezekiel chapter 36 and 37, and you can write that down, and I would encourage you to go back and read those two chapters of Ezekiel 36 and 37 later, okay? But, but basically in Ezekiel, he is prophesying against Israel, God's people, because of their rebellion, because of their sin against God. And God says in Ezekiel 36, 26, he says, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will place my spirit within you and cause you to follow my statutes and carefully observe my ordinances. That verse in Ezekiel 36 is pointing forward to this chapter in Acts chapter 2. It's amazing. But then in the very next chapter, Ezekiel 37 is such a great picture. Ezekiel is shown this valley of, of dry bones. We actually sing a, a funny song about that. Um, but, but he's shown this, this valley of dry bones. And, and God says, basically, this is what Israel is like. They're dead. It, it's, it's a very gloom picture. Uh, it, it's It's bad. And it's, uh, it's horrible. And God asks Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? And Ezekiel kind of shrugs his shoulders and he says, only you know, God. Only you know. And God instructs e- Ezekiel then to prophesy over the bones, to proclaim his message over these bones. And as he does, the wind begins to, the wind begins to blow through the valley and God fills these bones with breath and then... He fills them, uh, then they're clothed with, fret, with flesh, and what started out as a valley of dry bones ends with an army standing before God. And that is the same thing that's about to happen in Acts chapter 2. 
Because God has a mission in Acts 1, and he needs an army. And how does he get an army? He's going to send his Holy Spirit to live inside, within his people. Right? And so understand, man, that, that when they hear this sound, they hear this, this sound like, like a wind, and they see these tongues of fire, they recognize, man, that this is God's presence. He is with us. He is here. He has shown up. But, but I want you to notice something that's very important in this text. And it's very easy to kind of read by it and not even get it. But, but notice he says, and, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So it wasn't like one big ball of fire. It wasn't like when God was leading his people out of Egyptian slavery and you had a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, right? It was, it was 12, it was the fire divided and rested on each of them. You know what that means? In other words, God has come and it's personal now. God's presence is indwelling each believer with power for witness. God is putting his Holy Spirit in every believer, and it is for you, 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 and it is for me. Isn't that that awesome? Man, this is what's going on here. And how amazing is it? Each individual can experience the power of the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, comes and lives in you. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, that salvation experience, the Spirit comes and lives in us. And, and, and as amazing as that is, I want to just take a moment and stop for a second and just give some caution here. And I just want to share this with you. I feel like this is necessary uh, because I know that we have folks in here from all different backgrounds, different, different denominations. Uh, again, I said last week, if you are here and you don't have a church background, that's awesome. That's fantastic, right? But, but if you're here and you have a church background, then you know that there is, there's just been some confusion about things, right, in this text. And so there are some believers, some Christians, uh, who, who believe that you don't receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. In other words, when you put your faith and trust in Jesus, and you say, I'm going to trust Jesus for salvation, They don't believe that you received the Holy Spirit then, but it's actually a subsequent event later that you have to pray for. And so they'll say, hey, you need to to pray for the Holy Spirit. You you need to pray, you know, that that you receive the Holy Spirit. And, And generally, the people who believe this, and I'm making a broad statement here. I'm not saying this is every person. I'm just saying generally. This is what I've seen and witnessed in my years of life. They say that this subsequent baptism of the Holy Spirit is also accompanied by the sign of speaking in tongues. Okay? And so for, for the sake of time, I simply want to address this idea. We're not even going to talk about tongues today. Because right? I don't think that's really the focus of this passage. And I'll explain that in a minute. But, but I do feel like I need to address the idea of subsequent baptism. In other words, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit uh, sometime after conversion, okay? And so as we study through and as we read through the book of Acts, we have to remember, we talked about this last week, 
we have to remember that, um, that Acts is in the middle of this awkward transition. And what I mean by that is, is you have old covenants, right, before Jesus dies on the cross to now Jesus has been resurrected to new covenant, right? And, and, and so what I mean by that is, is last week we talked about how the disciples, they were already followers of Jesus. They had been with Jesus for three and a half years. They had put their faith and trust in Jesus already. And Jesus says, wait for the promised Holy Spirit. They didn't have the Holy Spirit yet because they were still living in an old covenant age of the Spirit. Okay? And what I mean by that is in the Old Testament, God would, would send His Holy Spirit for a time to anoint a king or a prophet for a task. Uh, but then once that task was over, the Spirit then would go back and, and leave. It wouldn't stay there. But now with the covenant shift, right, from old covenant to new covenant, every person who puts their faith and trust in Jesus for salvation receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So, so people who believe that it's subsequent baptism, that it's later, they look at examples like Acts, right, because the disciples, they didn't receive the, baptism, the Holy Spirit right away, right? It was later. Or they'll take another example of Acts chapter 10, which is very similar to Acts chapter 2, and we'll look at that later on down the road. But just real quick, what you have going on there is you have Cornelius, who is a Gentile, God-fearing person. The key phrase there is he's a Gentile, right? So the gospel is advancing, the gospel is being continued, right? It's spreading, as Jesus had said. And, 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 and he's a Gentile, and Peter... The disciple goes to Cornelius' house, and it says that he preaches Jesus to him. And they are baptized, and they receive the Spirit, and they also begin speaking in tongues. Now, here's the thing to, to understand, right? He was a God-fearing Gentile. He didn't know who Jesus was, right? And so Peter goes and preaches Jesus, and he gets baptized. It's like getting a two-for-one special. Right? And I'm not making light of it. I'm not, I'm not joking. I'm just, I'm, just being, I'm just being serious, right? And so that, that's what happens. But then we also see in Acts chapter 19 uh, another just weird... It's, the Acts 19 for years always stumped me. Like I always like, what is going on in Acts chapter 19? Because what you see there is Paul is having a conversation with some disciples. With some disciples. I mean, these people are, are again, God-fearing disciples, and, and, they're, and they're, they're doing great things. And Paul asks him, he says, hey, do you guys have the Holy Spirit? And I'm like, what kind of question is that? And they respond, Holy Spirit, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit, right? Old covenant, still thinking in that term. And he, then Paul says, well, what's baptism did you receive? And he said, John's baptism, John the Baptist, we talked about that last week, right? It was a, an old covenant baptism for repentance, it's Jewish baptism, Jewish baptism with water. And they said, we received John's baptism. And then Paul, then Paul teaches them about Jesus. And then they are baptized in the Spirit, and they also begin to speak in tongues. And so it's very easy for it to be confusing because you see a few of these stories and these examples, and you think, okay, is it subsequent? But again, you've got to remember this, this, this shift that's taking place in Acts from Old Covenant to New Covenant. Does that make sense? And so that's, that's kind of what's going on, right? It's not, it's not necessarily the normative pattern that you see throughout the book of Acts. 
that's taking place. Now, hear, hear my heart on this, okay? If, if you are here, I, believe me, I'm not making light of this. If you're here this morning and you grew up, because my wife, my wife grew up in that environment. She was raised in that. Um, she actually took me to school on it this past week and uh, taught me a lot, a lot of new things. Um, and I'm not kidding. She really did uh, because that was her environment. But, but hear me on this. If you grew up under that teaching of subsequent baptism, that you, that you pray and you receive the Holy Spirit later, and you had an experience. Maybe you had an experience where you're like, hey, I received the Holy Spirit. I am not denying that. I am not going to question that. I'm not, I'm not here to say, uh, just, listen, God is bigger. You can't put God in a box, right? You just can't do it. I had a professor in Bible college one time who said, you can't put God in a box. He says, he says God is going to blow your theology out of the water. You think you have solid theology? God is going to blow your theology out of the water, right? You think you have God figured out? He's going to, he's going to, he's going to you just can't. You, so I'm not, I'm not denying your experience here. All I'm saying is this, is we've got to be extremely careful because I have seen this type of teaching be very damaging. And what I mean by that is you've got people who are Christians, who are following Jesus, who are concerned about their salvation because they're being taught that they've got to pray for the Holy Spirit, and they haven't had that experience. I've had conversations with people who are like, am I saved? Am I? I'm like, yes, you're saved. You've got... You see what I'm saying? It can be, and it can almost create this uh, superiority of Christianity. Like, like, yeah, I've got the Spirit and you don't. Or, or I speak in tongues and you don't. Right? And so we've got to be very careful when we, we talk about that. And, and listen to me. I, again, tongues is not even, we can't even touch that today. But let me just say this. I still do believe that, that, that tongues is a spiritual gift that God uses today. Okay, I don't think that spiritual. I don't think that tongues has ceased. I think that, that God gives us the Spirit. Uh, he gives us uh, spiritual gifts to build up the church. I think we all have a spiritual gift if you are a believer in Christ to to build up the church. But I just think we've got to be careful when we talk about this idea of subsequent baptism. Okay. Uh, the other thing I would say too is is this. Um, sometimes we you hear people talk about being filled with the Spirit. And, and I will say that I agree with them in the sense that, that, that we all receive the Holy Spirit at conversion. But I do think there's this sense in which we can, and this is going to sound weird, I know. I don't know how else to say it. That you can be filled with the Holy Spirit more. I know it sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? And this is what I mean by that, right? So, so there are a lot of Christians who have the Spirit, but you can't tell that they have the Spirit. They're, they're walking around as if they're dead anyway. They haven't necessarily tapped into the power of the Holy Spirit that's in them. And, and the reason is, is because the Apostle Paul says, I think it's in Ephesians, he says, um, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, he also says in Ephesians, he says, uh, uh, walk by the Spirit and you won't gratify the sinful nature, the flesh. And what's he mean by that? Well, what's he saying? I, I think, here's the thing, I think once you become a Christian, you receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. But to be filled with the Spirit, right, it means, it means that you are filling yourself, you are, you are immersing yourself, you are uh, growing in your love and affection for Jesus. And the way that you do that is by being in the Word. Right, when Jesus was here on earth, he said, what it is my will 
to do, or is my, is, I love to do the will of the Father, right? The, the, Jesus was all about doing the will of the Father and obeying the Father, and, and he knew the Word of God. And so I think to be filled with the Spirit means, that, man, that you are growing in your love and affection for Jesus. You're surrounding yourself with other, other brothers and sisters in Christ who are encouraging you or helping you. And, and you're growing and you're, you're filling yourself with the Word and you're growing. Because here's the deal, man. If you're not doing that, then, then, then you are, then the world is, is, is kind of sucking you in. Right? You, you are uh, being captured, your heart is being captured by things of the world, and it's drawing your attention away from Christ, it's drawing your attention away from Jesus. And so you may have the Holy Spirit in you, but you haven't tapped into it, right? And here's the other thing, I'll just be honest with you, if you're here and you're a believer in Christ, you're a Christian, you follow Him, and you are living in outright sin. Now, I'm not talking about the sin that you struggle with, that you're fighting with, that you're fighting against, and you're really... Yeah, I'm not talking about that time. I'm talking about you know, man, you are just deliberately living in outright rebellion against God. I'm just going to be honest with you, man. The Holy Spirit's not going to be working in your life, except maybe to convict you. And if He's convicting you and you are ignoring that, you're, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're, 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 you're saying, no, uh, He's not going to work in that. Does that make sense? And so I, I would just encourage you, man. That, that's, I know I just threw a lot out at you, and we'll talk more about it. Uh, but I would just encourage you, man, if you have questions, if you're like, I don't understand this, or even if you disagree with me on something, man, come up, let's talk about it, okay? Let's set up a time. Again, you can buy me some Chipotle. I'd be more than happy to sit down with you over a burrito and talk about some Holy Spirit, okay? <laughs> I love talking about theology, man. We talk a I feel like, is, is it, does the sound change or something? Does it sound like very loud out there to you guys? Is it not? Okay, maybe it's just me. Okay. All right. All right. So, that's that, okay? So, notice what happens as the Spirit falls on them. It says they began to speak in other tongues. Now, what is absolutely clear in this text is that these tongues are other languages because obviously the other nations that are listed there. And it says that, that these people can hear and understand in their own language. Also, the Greek word there for tongues is glossa, which means language. So it would be the equivalent of me standing before you and speaking flawless Spanish and without my, my mountain man country twang. I say mountain man because Robin, my wife, when we first started dating, her mom for whatever reason, was listening to one of my sermons online. And she told Robin, she says, hmm, he's got a mountain man voice. <laughs> like, what does a mountain man voice sound like? <laughs> it's Southwest Virginia country twang voice is what it is. Anyways, um, but, but people, people are amazed because they're like, man, are not all of these who are speaking Galileans? Right? It was so crazy that some of the people in the crowd actually thought they were drunk. And I love I love this because Peter, we didn't read it, but in verse 14, Peter actually addresses that. He says, guys, it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. We're not, we're not drunk, right? It's only 9 a.m. in the morning, right? And as amazing as speaking in tongues is, as that was, I don't think, listen, I don't think that's even the focus of the story here, right? I mean, sometimes we like to focus on the tongue speaking, and as amazing as it is, I don't even think that's the focus here. 
Because I think the focus shifts down in the latter part of verse 11 when it says that we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. That's the focus. What are the mighty works of God? Jesus. It's gospel. Jesus was, this is what they're, they're proclaiming, the mighty works of God, right? They're saying Jesus was born of a virgin. He was crucified on a cross for your sins. He, was, he died in your place. He was buried. And then God raised him on the third day. That's, that's, what, they were, that's what they were proclaiming. It's the mighty works of God. They are bearing witness about Jesus. Jesus told his disciples in John 15, 26 and 27, he says, When the Helper comes, the Holy Spirit, he will bear witness about me, and you also will be witnesses because you have been with me. So the Spirit comes at the command of the risen Jesus to testify about the risen Jesus. Listen, when the Holy Spirit shows up, he doesn't say, okay, time out for a second, guys, before we go out there. I just want to let you know that Jesus was here for 33 years, and he had his chance. He, he didn't go too well for him, and so now it's about the Holy Spirit. So let's go out here, and let's... No, that's not what the Holy Spirit did, is it? The Holy Spirit came, and he proclaimed Jesus, right? They made much of Jesus. They preached the mighty works of God. They preached the gospel. That's what they did, and that's what the... That's, that's, that's what the Spirit wants to do in your life. Right? Just, just as he empowered, the Holy Spirit empowered our ancestors and those in Acts to proclaim Jesus, he wants to do the same for us today. And I just want to point out real quick, this is, this is how we're going to close today. I just want to point out that before the Holy Spirit comes in Acts chapter 2, if you look there at the latter part of chapter 1, you notice that the disciples, they are in that upper room and they are together, right? So, so Jesus ascends to go back to heaven. It's 40 days. He was here for 40 days. So they were in this room. They were together for 10 days because Pentecost is 50 days after Passover. So they were together for, for 10 days and they were in this upper room. And, and the scripture says that they were unified, that they were praying together. Jesus told them, said, wait and they were together in one place, and they were praying because they knew that they did not have the resources to do this mission on their own. There's no way that these disciples could have gone out. Listen, Peter, just days before, or just right before Jesus was crucified on the cross, uh, denied Jesus three times to a, before a slave girl. And now... He's about to stand up and proclaim the good news, gospel of Jesus Christ to thousands. The only way he could do that is through the Holy Spirit. The only way that you and I can even live this Christian life is through the Holy Spirit. You, you can't do it on your own. As, as a church, the only way that we're going to be able to advance the gospel and have an impact in our little area here is, is if the Holy Spirit shows up in our life, if we tap into the power of the Holy Spirit, you can't do it on your own. We can't do it by ourselves. Listen, I, I don't want to simply be known as a church that is doing some pretty cool things. I, I don't want to be just a cool church. I don't, I don't even care if we're a cool church or not. 
I don't care. I want to be a church where people say, man, the Holy Spirit is all up in that place. I want to be a church, man, where people walk through those doors and they feel the presence of the Holy Spirit because He is just, He's in this place. He's in you. That's, that's, that's what I want. That's, that's what I, man, I, and that's what we need to pray for, man. That's what we need to pray for. We've been empowered to declare the mighty works of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we just thank you. Man, we thank you for uh, examples. We thank you for, for, for scripture and, and, and just, God, we thank you for your grace and mercy. We thank you for, uh, God, what you're doing. And we just pray, God, as we uh, just come to a time of response now that, uh, that your spirit would just continue to move, God, and convict us where we need to be convicted. And if there's an area in our life, God, that we need to just let go of, and, uh, or maybe we just need to repent of, I pray, God, that we would do that. I pray that your spirit would reveal that to us, and that we, wouldn't, we wouldn't be so hard-hearted or just prideful or arrogant to thank God that we, we don't need to do that. Father, I pray if there's somebody here today that just, uh, they don't even know if they have the Holy Spirit. I pray, God, that, that you would uh, just give them the courage to, to, to talk about that and what that means. God, we thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So, guys, we're